0: over them this morning, so let's do that. Jesus, this morning we want to pray uh, for, for the nation of Israel, for the place that the, the people that ultimately you chose and made covenants with, uh, Lord, for the people and the place, the territory where your son lived, where he grew up, uh, where he did his ministry, uh, Lord, for the temple, the place where uh, your, your presence dwelt for so long, uh, Lord, no, now we know that that place is within us. Um, but Lord, we want to lift up that, we want to lift up the people of Israel, we want to lift up the families of Israel, the moms and dads and kids uh, who uh, yesterday woke up to uh, the sounds of, of rocket fire and gunfire and death. Uh, Lord, we pray just for peace in that region. We pray for peace among people who don't believe the same things or believe differently. Uh, Lord, we pray uh, ultimately that, that you being our sovereign king would move in the hearts of, uh, of leaders, of prime ministers, of generals, of, uh, of, of soldiers, uh, Lord, and that you would bring an end to the bloodshed and an opportunity for everyone to come to your table to get to know your son uh, who forgives and who makes peace. Uh, Lord, we pray this uh, in your name, Lord, and we ask that you do amazing things uh, in your name and through your son. Uh, we pray all this. Everybody said... Amen. All right. Uh, So throughout this series, uh, we've been looking at one of Jesus's first kind of you got two deals on the table moments. Uh, and it comes out of Matthew 7, and, we, and we've read it every week. But, but here are the deals that Jesus essentially says. You've got two, two deals. You've got two ways you can go, two things you can choose. Deal number one says this. Anyone and everyone has the opportunity to, to listen to what Jesus has to say, to agree with what Jesus says is good, right, true, and best, and believe what Jesus says is true, right, good, and best for our lives, and put it into practice. I mean, Jesus tells us kind of at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, you can listen to my words, you can believe in my words, you can agree with what I'm saying and put it into practice. And here's what I love about this, and I love that Christy kind of alluded to this. It doesn't matter. I want us to understand this today, that as you come in and you see that deal that Jesus offers you through his life, it doesn't matter what things have been like in your past Because I know for some of us, when we talk about marriage and family and parenting, it brings up all the scars and the wounds that we have from all of those things, right? Things in our past. And the truth of the matter is, when it comes to the deal that Jesus offers, it doesn't matter what's in your past. It doesn't matter what things are like right now in the present. One thing that we always say here is this, that that Jesus meets you right where you are, as you are so church, I need us to understand something as we continue to press into this series, and that's this. Jesus, he doesn't meet you where you were as you were. Like I know some of us, maybe we've got that shame or we've got guilt. We think about, let me say that the person that I was, you know, whether it's years ago, whether it's months ago, whether it was last night, like I don't want to be the person that I used to be. Jesus doesn't meet you where you were as you were. He doesn't meet you where you should be or as you should be, right? Some of us, again, we we think about the deal that, that Jesus makes with us, right? And we look at it and go, I don't know that I can ever get there. I know that's where I should be, but I don't know that I can ever do that. Jesus doesn't meet you there. He doesn't meet you where you should be or as you should be. Jesus meets you exactly where you are and exactly as you are. And what he says to us is this. If you're willing, if you and I are willing to take action and apply his truth to our lives, Jesus says, that for us, it will be like building our lives on a rock, right? Which we talked about this a couple weeks ago. When, when Jesus' audience would have heard building your life on a rock, that, that word rock would have kind of implied mountain, building your life on top of a mountain. Well, why does that matter? Because in Near Eastern culture, they believed that the place where God lived was up on a mountain. So Jesus says you can build your life in a place where God lives and God meets with his people every single day. Now, it's not up on a mountain. It's just our lives, right? We can, we can live our lives connected to a God that loves us and likes us, interacting with God, the with God life, right? And Jesus says, listen, you got to understand, though, this, this life, it's not going to be a storm-free life. By, by choosing to believe in, and to build our lives on Jesus' truth, doesn't mean that all of our problems, everything that stresses out, sickness, all that kind of stuff, tragedy, it doesn't mean that all those things get erased and don't happen anymore. What it means is this, it doesn't mean that it's a storm-free life or a fire-free life, but it means that it's storm-proof and fire-proof. And that means that when life gets difficult, when we kind of hit those, I didn't see that coming kind of moments, right? What Jesus says is that his deal that he makes with us is that our lives won't fall down and won't fall apart and won't collapse in that moment. And Jesus says that, that that promise, right, that deal is open to anyone and everyone. But deal number two says this, that you and I can go about, we can listen and we can agree with and we can even believe that what Jesus says is good and, and true and best and, and right, right? See, like it's, it's not about, deal number two is not about like outright disagreement or not believing in Jesus. We can agree with Jesus, And we can believe what Jesus says is good, right, true, and best, but not put anything he says into practice. And deal number two kind of goes like this. I believe in you, Jesus. I'm just not willing to take any action when it comes to how I live my life. Because here's the deal, Jesus. I think at the end of the day, I can run my life just fine. Maybe even better than you, Jesus. And what Jesus says is that is essentially you and I building our lives on sand. He says it's foolishness. It's empty, it's dangerous. And so what happens is that when the storms and the chaos and the fires of life, like the fires of anxiety and conflict, when those things hit our lives, what will ultimately happen is that our lives will fall down, fall apart, burn down, and collapse. And usually when that happens, it takes us and everyone and anyone connected to our lives down with it. And so just like deal number one is open to anyone and everyone, so is deal number two. Anyone and everyone can look at Jesus and say, Jesus, that sounds nice. Dear God, no, amen. That deal's open to everyone. So so the million-dollar question that we've been asking is this. If what Jesus says is true and really possible, that we can build our lives and live a life that is connected to God, in relationship with God, then, then what does that really mean for us? Like, what can that mean for our lives, and what does it take to live that kind of life? And so we've been unpacking this the last, you know, four or five weeks. To, to put it really simply, here's what it means. to, to you, For you and I, what it takes for us to live the life that Jesus offers us, for us to take him up on the deal that he puts on the table, it all comes down to you and I being willing to do an honest evaluation of who or what we've really chosen to believe in. Like who or what in your life have you really chosen to believe in? You have faith in, you believe, you follow, you trust. Like it it means that we have to inspect who or what we've chosen to build our lives on, what we've chosen to build our lives around. We've got to take a really long, hard, honest look at who or what we've, we've turned to or what we are turning to to define kind of our roles and responsibilities in life. And after all of that, what Jesus says is for you and I to take him up on his offer is we, we repent, which the word repent means to change direction. We turn away from something in order to, to turn towards something different. And you know, the way we would say this is essentially like repenting is rethinking, it's reworking, it's reconsidering our lives. And Jesus gives us that possibility. And I know that it's so much easier said than done, right? In, in some cases, when we talk about marriage and family and parenting and relationships, we are, we are trying to like untangle generations of wiring when it comes to how we function in marriage, what our families look like, how we parent, like how we approach relationships. It's not just us, right? This has been a generational thing. It goes back years and years and years and years and years, and, years, and we're trying to untangle this mess. It's not easy, And here's the truth, it doesn't happen overnight. And I need you to hear me say this, especially as we go into what we're gonna talk about today. Me too, right? Like I don't stand on this stage as someone that's got it all figured out and has it all together, right? Today, this morning is gonna be more of like a group therapy class, right? The the last few weeks, I'll just be honest with you, the last few weeks have caused me to take some really long looks in the mirror in in, in preparing for the series and preparing for each week. Like I've gotta wrestle with what I'm gonna talk about before I come up here and talk about it. Otherwise, I'm just pretending. So like, I've got to wrestle with this. I got to think like, where in my life do some things need to change? And my goodness, is that list long, right? It's led to, the last few weeks have led to some, some long and, and tough conversations for, for Christy and I when it comes to our roles and responsibilities in our marriage and in our family and, and how we parent. We've had to, to make some changes in the way that we live, how we operate, how we run our lives, how our family operates and runs. One of the things that we've done is our goal now, it's our goal, I'm not saying we meet it every week, but our goal is to do three meals like at our kitchen table, right? When TV goes off, phones don't come over, right? It's three meals a week, right, not a day. Three meals a week, at least, around that table. The first time we did this with our boys, like they, look, they were like this. And really they were like, who died and are we moving? I mean, they were freaked out, like we held hands and prayed, and they were like, I maybe mean, both of them were like, what is happening, right? Mom and dad have lost their minds, because typically the way we would eat meals in our house, TVs are on, phones are out, devices are on. Most of the time, either Christy or I stand up and eat, because we're in the middle of, we're multitasking as we do this, so to sit down, it causes us to slow down. It causes us to have conversations, to really lean into, man, how was your day? What's going on in your life? Those kinds of things. And what we found is this, change is really hard. Duh, right? Change is difficult. Like there couldn't be a more obvious statement than that, right? Change is really difficult. I- I'm going to quote this book a lot today. I read, I-, I read this book. I read a book this week, and it didn't have pictures in it, right? It was A whole book, cover to cover, it was fantastic. Uh, It's called Parenting, and it's by a guy named Paul Tripp. Here's what he says about change. Change is about learning what's right, acknowledging that it is right, confessing that you've been wrong, committing to a new way of living, and seeking the help that you need. So when it comes to change, there's really kind of four main elements, right? It's learning, it's acknowledging, it's confessing, it's committing, it's five things, seeking, right? In the last few weeks, that's what we've done. The last four weeks or so, what we've been doing is we've been learning about what God has to say when it comes to our marriages, our families, our, our relationships. We've, we've been acknowledging, maybe some of us through gritted teeth, we've been acknowledging that like his way really and truly is better than ours. Like God, your way is in fact better than mine. Your plan is better than mine. We've confessed, maybe to each other, maybe to our kids, maybe in prayer, right, through the Holy Spirit, we've confessed where we've fallen short. God, we didn't, I fell short, I failed. We've confessed where we've tried to do it on our own. And maybe some of us have started to kind of commit or recommit to these God-given roles and responsibilities we've been talking about in the last couple of weeks. And maybe some of us, we've been seeking people to do life with, right? People to help us out, to encourage us, to support us along the way. Now, maybe I'll say this, in the last few weeks, maybe you've gotten your toes stepped on, right? Maybe... Maybe to some extent, you've been a little offended by some of the things that we've said when it comes to like the roles of men and women in marriage. Like maybe even last week when we talked about the devil, which by the way, as we talked about the devil, all of like the sewage overflowed back, like backed up and came back up out of the, the toilets in the bathroom, which I, I told somebody, it's like, I, I prayed over everything. Cause I know it was talking about the devil, right? I knew last week we were going to talk about our enemy. So I prayed over everything in this place, except for the plumbing, right? And, and it's one of those things someone said to me, it's like, well, like, you, I'm sure you've had to pray for your church's stuff before, but maybe not literally, right? Last week we did, and this morning, I guarantee you, I was praying over those toilets, like, just let everything stay where it's supposed to stay, right? But maybe it's, maybe the last couple of weeks, things have been kind of touchy, right? You've been offended. Maybe you've you, you've, you've started to feel like your, 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 your blood pressure rise, like your heart rate increases. And I just got to tell you this, you ain't seen nothing yet, right? It's about to get way more personal in the next couple of weeks. and So I just want to give you this encouragement today, right? If you start to feel, if you start to feel your blood, your blood pressure rise a little bit, if you start to sense that maybe you're angry, you're upset, you're offended, if you start crafting like the who do you think you are or like where do you get off, like thinking that you can say that to me, that text or that email, just stop Take a breath, ask yourself, why am I feeling like this? Like what I found and what I pay a therapist to help me understand is that usually like the things that light a fire in me are the the, the things that kind of trigger an emotional reaction in me when I start to ask why questions, like why am I feeling like this? I find usually those are the things that I need to lean into, that I need to listen to, that I need to learn from, that I need to adjust, that I need to flat out correct, Normally, those things are the things that I need to change the most. So there's your kind of daily encouragement, because today we're talking about our kids' room, right? We're talking about the kids' room. And I get some of us is like, listen, Brad, you can talk about the roles of men and women in the home. You can talk about the devil. Don't you dare come at my kids, right? I get it. I get it. I understand. So let me just give you this disclaimer as we talk about parenting. I'm one of you, right? I'm one of you. We do not have parenting figured out in our home. We don't, right? I know some of, like, the assumption is, well, he's a pastor, so, like, his kids probably know the Bible forwards and backwards. They don't. They don't, right? Cash, last year, Cash, in, in kids' ministry, they were trying to learn all the books of the Bible, and it was like, like we would like we would, we'd practice with him, and finally I just had to bribe him with, like, hey, if you get, like, if you can get through the Old Testament, you can get a sucker. And he's like, okay, learned them right away, right? So we don't know the, like, I don't, I don't, I don't tuck my kids into bed at night playing worship music, right? We don't do that. Like, sometimes we pray with our kids, sometimes we don't. Sometimes we read stories, sometimes we don't. Like, we don't get it right. We're one of you. I read a quote this week that really kind of gave me some, some freedom, right? It's, it's this. It's that, that parenting is the single most overwhelming and intimidating task given by God to men and women in the history of the universe. And I'm like, somebody gets it, Right? because if you think about it, I'm going to put this chart up, right? So if you think about like in our home, we have two kids, right? So there's me and Christy and we've got a relationship. Our relationship is one that we have to make sure stays connected. So there's like a little arrow that'll pop up, right? That's us. So we have to work on our relationship. And as we've been talking about marriage, like relationships within marriage, not the easiest thing to deal with, not the easiest thing to walk through, right? Not the easiest thing to make corrections, right? It, it's, it's difficult. Marriages, it can be difficult at times, but we decided to, to invite two souls into our lives, Jack and Cash. So there's two more relationships now. Now, here's the deal. We have our relationship to work on, but I also have my own relationship with Jack, right? So Jack and I have a relationship. I'm his dad. He's my son. He's got a personality that's unique and different. He's got life that he's navigating and that I'm trying to help navigate with him. His personality is a little different from mine, so I have to grow that relationship. But then I also have Cash, who's exactly like me, and I, I, I'm sorry. <laughs> Man, like, I, like, there's times, like, when, like when, you know when you fight with your kids, it's like when Cash and I clash, like, the foundation of the house shifts a little bit, right? I understand now what it's like to be on the other side of me, and again, I'm just, I'm, I'm really sorry, all right? But, but Cash and I, we have this relationship that we have to kind of figure out. But then there's Christy. And Christy has her relationship with Jack, and Christy has her relationship with Cash, and then Jack and Cash have their relationship together, which we constantly have to intervene and make sure that one of them doesn't kill the other one, right? That's a lot to to manage. That's four people. But look at all those different relationships and the way that they work and how we have to wade into those and figure out what it looks like to, to make these things work, and so When I started thinking about this week, I I thought to myself, like, what's the aim? Like, what's the target? What's the point, right? Like, things like that. Like, what should should we be doing with all of this? And here's what I landed, right? This is, here's what I landed. Based on what we see in Scripture, parents are charged with the sacred task of training our kids to become the kind of people who, one, see the world the way that Jesus sees it, and two, interact with the world the way that Jesus does. Scott Nichol, who is a pastor at Southland in Lexington, he says it like this. Parents are charged with training their children to become the kind of people who are right at home in God's kingdom. And what this looks like for us is Taking a look at our family values and our priorities, right? How do we get those things to line up and reflect God's kingdom values and priorities? Like back in August, we did this values and priorities series, and one of the things we said every week was this. Your life right now is perfectly set up to get the results you're currently getting. However you set up your life, it's set up perfectly to get the results you're currently getting. Everything you're experiencing right now in your life is because of how either you've set up your values and priorities... Or how you've let someone or something else set up and establish your values and priorities. But don't don't get this wrong. Everything you're experiencing in your life right now, it's set up perfectly to get the results that you're currently getting. And here's the thing. All I have to do to figure out what you would say is a value, what you deem worth it in life, or what you would say is most important in life, a priority, is all I have to do is watch your life. Because you'll show me. I'll show you. All you have to do is follow me around for a day and you'll figure out what I think is valuable and what I think is important. And here's the truth. We daily parents show our kids what's most valuable to us and what's most important. And the way that we treat one another, and the way we care for others, and the way that we see ourselves, and the way we lean into our roles and responsibilities as parents, we shout a clear message of what we think is truly valuable and is most important to our kids. And as we're about to see, according to the Bible, and you may want to throw something at me when I say this, the way we live and function and operate as a family should look a little bit like and feel a little bit like heaven, which is God's kingdom. It's where God's will is done. Like when we pray the Lord's Prayer, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God's will, his desire, is done perfectly in his kingdom. Now, again, you read something like that and you go, shut up. I get it. Here's what I mean when I say this, right? You know, a few weeks ago we unpacked like the the primary role of the men and the fathers and the husbands in the house, right? And that's, that's to be the front door. Like the primary but not sole role for men is to be the provider and protector of everyone in the house. Men are to reflect the image of God as the primary provider and protector in the lives of their family. So imagine this, guys. If when someone is describing the way God provides and protects, and your kid's first thought is, oh, so you mean God's kind of like my dad. Imagine that. Or ladies, we talked about your primary, not soul, but primary role and responsibility of being the thermostat, right? You are the regulator of the environment, the spiritual environment in the home, right? That's meant to kind of call out and grow the the, the personality, the character and likeness of God and yourself and, and everyone under your care. Imagine, ladies, if someone was describing God's likeness, his compassion, his mercy, his love, his forgiveness, his justice. Imagine that they were describing what God was like And your child's first thought is, well, man, that reminds me a lot of my mom. That's what it means for our homes to feel a little bit like, sound a little bit like, be a little bit like God's kingdom in heaven. This goes all the way back to the way that we were created in the first place, the why why behind creation. We were created to reflect God's image and likeness to all creation. So when creation, meaning our kids, see humanity, what they see is God. They see a picture, they catch a glimpse of his image and his likeness. Paul Tripp says this, the ambassador, that's us, doesn't have any authority in and of themselves, right? They have authority only because they represent a king who has authority. And here's God's amazing plan, he says. He makes his invisible authority visible by sending visible authority figures as representatives. This means... Every time you exercise authority in the lives of your children, it must be a beautiful picture of the authority of God in the lives of your children. He says, you are the look of God's face, you are the touch of his hand, and you are the tone of his voice. I read that and went, crap. Right? There's no no pressure there, right? Like, you read that and go, like, are you kidding me? Like, shut up, Paul, Right? I'm sure that for some, for some of us, we read things like this and it brings up shame, it brings up regret, it, it makes us feel insecure. I know it does for me, right? There's, there's no place in my life I feel more insecure, unqualified, and like I don't add up than when it comes to, to parenting. My house, if I'm being honest, doesn't sound like heaven. Again, if I'm just being real, there, there are more days that if you ask my kids, they would go, I'm pretty sure it sounds like hell, right? If I'm supposed to be the look and touch and tone of God, then here's what my kids believe God can be like sometimes, that God is angry, he is harsh, and he is loud about how disappointed or frustrated he is with them. And that's why I know when we talk about parenting, it becomes such a sensitive subject because parenting brings up all the wounds and all the guilt and all the shame and all the regret that we have in our past experiences, maybe with our own parents or maybe in our present experiences as parents, Like most of us, myself included, we're making it up as we go. And some of us, when it comes to parenting, we are committed to never being the kind of parents like the ones we had. Others of us, we're trying to be exactly like the parents we had. And it doesn't matter what, we feel like we can never measure up. Some of us, we've got no point of reference because maybe one or both of our parents bailed on us. And we didn't have a mom around. We didn't have a dad around. Or we grew up in the home of, a, of, a, of an aunt or an uncle or a grandparent. But here's, again, as we dive into this, I want us to take this with us as we, as we press in today. The good news for us, for parents, for kids, for families, is this. God's grace frees us from having to hide, repress, or deny our weaknesses. That's the truth. Because here's the, here's the real here's the, the the real story. The Bible is full of of parents and parenting that ranges from bad to downright awful to the absolute worst you've ever seen. Right, Adam and Eve, one son killed the other one. Noah, after spending 40 days cooped up with animals and his family in a boat, the the first moment he had to get out of the boat, he got drunk and got naked in front of his family. You think, like, being stuck with your kids in a car is bad? Imagine being stuck with your kids and two of every animal on the planet for 40 days. There's some of us look at Noah and go, I get it. Me too, bud. Isaac and Rebecca, they picked favorites. They pitted their kids against one another, and it fractured their family. Jacob, one of their sons, he did the same thing. He picked favorites and made Joseph, made Joseph's brothers so jealous that they beat him up, threw him in a hole, faked his death, and sold him into slavery. Some of the kids in the room are going, hmm, that's possible. King David, a man after God's own heart, one of his sons sexually assaulted his sister and was killed by his brother, who then tried to rise up and lead a revolt against their father, David. So everybody just take a breath, right? Everybody take a breath and open your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 6, right? Grab your Bibles, open up to Deuteronomy chapter 6, starting in verse 1. It says this, now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you. This is Moses talking that you may do them in the land in which you're going over, right? They're getting ready to step into the promised land. They've been in in captivity, in in slavery for 400 years. They've wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. The day, the moment has finally come that they're gonna cross over into the land that God promised them, you know, a long, long time ago. He says, listen, You hear the commands. Here's what matters. Here's the rules and the statutes that you, you've got to do these things when you go over into this land and possess it, that you may fear the Lord, your God. Fear doesn't mean to be afraid of. It means to hold in awe or to be in reverence. You and your sons and your son's son, which again, this is important. Like as they're getting ready to step into this promised land, one of the most important things implies like the fact that we need to do not just here, but do the things that God commands us to do. It implies the role and expectation of generational parenting like that's a core concept in all of this as they're getting ready to move into a new place so he says this you got to keep all of his statutes and all of his commandments not just hearing but also doing which is what jesus said which i command you all the days of your life how long are you supposed to do this your whole life and that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, which means grow and thrive in this new land, in this new territory, as the Lord, the God, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. So we know Moses is speaking here. He's been the leader of the Israelites as, as they've wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. He's near the end of his own life, and so he reminds them, as they're about to step into the promised land, Moses reminds them, you got two deals on the table. You can build your new life in this new land, in this new territory, on and through God's truth or not. You can try to do it your, your own way. And here's why this is important. Right? The land that they were going into, the promised land, was already occupied by other tribes and other cultures. And most of those tribes and most of those other cultures, they worshipped idols child sacrifice was kind of a common thing amongst those tribes and cultures. And in most of those tribes and cultures, they were sexually broken and dysfunctional. And maybe some of us go, well, that sounds familiar, right? Idol worship, sacrificing children, sexually broken and dysfunctional. Here's what's really happening, right? This is why this matters. Moses in Deuteronomy, what he's doing is he's making sure that these people know how to grow and thrive as a family when they find themselves under the pressure and under the influence of people and places and ways and cultural customs that are not of God. So, so now we, what we realize is that Deuteronomy, something that was written thousands of years ago, is actually really relevant to us today because we're trying to do the same thing. And here's what he says. He goes on in verse 4. He says, "Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love. We know that the word means to choose. You shall love the Lord your God, which means choose God's truth over all the other things that claim to be true and real and good and best for you. Choose God's truth in the midst of all the pressure and all the stress and all the influence of people and ways and cultures and customs that are not of God. Choose God in the midst of idolatry in the midst of of sacrifices, in the midst of sexual brokenness and dysfunction, choose God's way with all, which means all, every part of who you are. Don't leave the door open and unprotected. Don't turn the thermostat off. Don't make room, don't allow for anything else to make its way into your heart, your soul, and your might, your strength. See, Jesus, he quoted this. Jesus quoted this and he added mind to it, right? He added another. He said, you've your heart with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. It's going to take you using your brain. Jesus knew. We're going to have to think about these things. And these words, Moses says, what, that I command you today shall be on your heart. And he says, you shall shall teach them diligently, which is where we're going to live today. We're going to live kind of right in that phrase, you shall teach them diligently. Because here's what it means, teach them diligently, that phrase means to sharpen the blade of a sword or, or the tip of an arrow or a spear, to make it sharp. It means this, to cut into a stone or to etch or to engrave. You're to teach your children diligently. You should talk, talk of them, right? Talk of these statutes when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand. There should be like frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. The statutes, the commands, the things that God gives us, the, the, way, the things that Jesus points to with his truth, with the ways that he lives, those kinds of things, the with God life, here's what he says. This is the way it's gonna work better. This is how we can do life together. Those are the things that we are to make sure that we teach diligently to our children, that we etch, that we engrave. Why? Because it will make them sharp. It'll make them effective. So let's unpack this, right? When it comes to the biblical command of of teaching diligently, you know, teaching our kids what it looks like for them to build their lives on the rock and the truth, right, of Jesus' ways, the first principle of biblical parenting is parental withness, right? So here's what I want you to know. When we talk about this today, I'm not gonna give you a ton of methods. I'm not gonna give you a bunch of how-tos, right? Because I don't have, I can't, right? I'm still trying to figure it out. One of the things I like about, about Paul Tripp's book, which is called Parenting, is that it gives principles, which are kind of these overarching things that you can kind of pull down some things that work really well for your family. But one of the things that it talks about, the first main principle is parental withness, And that means this, that parents, you're literally with your kids as they navigate life. And you do this together. See, we go back into kind of that Near East culture. The the, the people that Moses was talking to, that's how they understood family life. They understood that that they are with one another. See, Moses' command was based on a cultural implication and a cultural understanding that parents and kids are with one another. So in order for you and I to teach our kids diligently, we have to be a constant and consistent presence in their lives. We cannot, as moms and dads, or as aunts and uncles, or grandparents, or as guardians, we cannot teach diligently if we're never around. But here's the deal. It's not just about physical presence alone. It's presence and purpose. It takes both of those. When presence and purpose work together, we bring our kids along with us into this journey to love God with all of our heart, with all of our mind, with all of our soul, and all of our strength. See, purposeful parenting looks like being emotionally, spiritually, mentally, and physically intentional in every moment that you're with your kids. And I get it. Some days, all we want to do is come home from work, or maybe when our spouse gets home from work, we kind of want to hand everything off, or we just want to sit on the couch and go numb. Either by putting some on the TV or scrolling endlessly on our phones. And here's the deal. That's an easy temptation to give into. I do the same thing. There are some days I just want to come home, and I want to scroll endlessly. I want to go down the rabbit hole of Facebook Marketplace and see what the cost of boats are. I just I want a boat. <laughs> right? I don't, I don't know why. I want one, right? It's like, I just, I, I just, hey, here's a cool one. Here's a, and before I know it, hour, an hour has gone by. 45 minutes have, have gone by. Here's what we have to see. We have to see that, that numbing out or zoning out, what we're doing is we're actually wasting our withness in the lives of our kids when it comes to purpose and presence, right? We may be present with them, but there is no purpose, and when we start to think about the image and likeness of God, we start to ask this question. Is the impression that my kids are getting from me, is it, is it absence? Or is the, pres- in the, the impression that my kids are getting from me, is it presence without purpose? Am I just absent? Am I not present at all? Because I'm other places doing other things? Or am I home, I'm present but I just have no purpose? Let me just tell you, here's what they're getting from that. One, what they're receiving is mom or dad, they're not around. I can't count on them. They're absent. They don't show up. The other thing they get from that is that when you are, you're not really interested in them. Well, they're around, but they don't pay much attention to us. And in their minds, here are the dots that start getting connected, right? It's this. If if mom and dad are like that, then God must either be absent or disinterested in me as well. Now, I want to make sure we get something important, right? The Bible tells us that Jesus often withdrew to quiet places to pray. Jesus took intentional time to be with his Father, but we also see in Jesus' life that he never wasted a second when he was with his disciples. Why? Why? Because Jesus' goal was that they would go on to do the things that he did, that they would become like him, that, that his disciples would reflect his image and likeness in making disciples of all nations. And so here's what we can get from this. Presence and purpose in the lives of our kids means this, that we also have to be intentional in creating temporary spaces for our presence and purpose with our spouse and with our heavenly father. And I'll tell you, this is, these are two areas that in our home, Christy and I struggle with. Right? It's a struggle, believe it or not, sometimes to, to wake up early in the morning or to find time in the midst of our busy schedules to do a quiet time, right? to, to spend time in the Word, not to prepare for a sermon or not to get ready for a, for a study group or a small group, but, but really just to, to spend time reading the Bible. Sometimes that's a struggle for us. One of the things that we've not done well with in the last few months is date night. We've not done that. We've kind of let our schedules run us. And so we've not really taken that time for, for one another. And here's, what, here's the truth. Why Jesus, I think, would oftentimes withdraw to lonely places and pray, quiet places and pray, is he knew this. You can't pour out something that's empty. If you're not pouring into your marriage, how can your marriage pour into your kids? If you're not pouring into or seeking to be poured into when it comes to your relationship with Jesus, then how can you pour that relationship into your kids? You can't. You can't pour out something that's empty. So here's our second principle. The the first principle is is purpose and, and, and presence. The second one is this. Teaching diligently requires awareness and attention. See, our kids need to be the kind of people that we pay real attention to, right? Paul Tripp says this, as a parent, you're never dealing with just the words or actions of your children. You're also dealing with the thing that controls their words and behavior, their hearts. Jesus said it like this, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The overflow. Some of your translations may say, out of the overflow of your heart, the mouth speaks, what's going on in your heart eventually finds its way to the surface. We talk about this when it comes to the things that feed our shadow, right? Normally when we feed our shadow, when we feed our shadow insecurity or anxiety or depression, right, we, we hide, repress, and deny what's really going on in our lives. What happens is that's going to come out sideways at some point. Somebody's going to get on the wrong end of this. And it's because that's what's really going on in your life, right? Out of the overflow of your heart, your actions come. So here's the deal, we know this, there's usually more going on in the hearts and minds of our kids than what we see play out on the surface. And what we see play out on the surface is usually connected with what's going on in their hearts. And so what I've learned is this, the enemy of attention and awareness is speed. Odds are, if we're moving too fast, and I know many of us are, we're more than likely unaware we're not paying full attention to the to our own hearts or the hearts of our kids. And the outcome is this, we tend to take things that our kids say and do personally, and we end up parenting reactively. We're reactionary in the way that we parent. And here's the truth, if if we short, if we end up shorting intention and awareness in parenting, we will only ever address or deal with what we see on the surface, while what's really happening in the hearts of our kids is left untreated. We'll parent reactively or reactionary, often giving our kids what what we think they deserve, instead of what they truly need. And we need to press in. We need to pay attention to their heart, press into their heart. We need to be aware of the fact that your kids, regardless of how old they are, they are deep wells. Similar to the triggers that cause our thoughts and emotions to flare up, we need to press in to the hearts of our own kids with curiosity that asks questions like, why are you feeling this way? Like, what's really going on? What's happening in your heart that caused you to say this to me or do this to me? See, attention and awareness, they lead to parenting with grace. And grace is being on the receiving end or the giving end, receiving end, of what we need instead of what we deserve. Parenting with attention and awareness puts grace at the center of our relationship with our kids. Because we're paying attention. We're aware that there's something probably going on below the surface. So I know I've talked to parents for a long time, right? So parents, take a breath. Kids, it's your turn, right? See, years before Moses gave this command in Deuteronomy, God gave Moses the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20. We see that if you read the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20, you see the first four commandments, and in Hebrew literature, order matters. The first four commandments have everything to do with our relationship with God and his relationship with us. The fifth commandment, which is the first commandment where God doesn't mention himself, has everything to do with kids' relationships to their parents. Here's what that means. According to the Bible, the most important relationship we can have is between God and us, right? The next most important relationship, if you just kind of go by Hebrew order, is the relationship that kids, we have with our parents. And it doesn't matter how old we are. Exodus chapter 20 verse 12 says this, that we are to honor, and that word honor means to, to make weighty, to give great value, to, to, to allow our parents to have great influence in our lives. We are to honor your father and mother, that your days may be long, that your life will be better in the land that your Lord, the Lord your God is giving you. Now going back to what we talked about when it comes to marriage and mutual submission, Like men, you know this, that you will voluntarily and joyfully give your life for a wife that calls out the likeness of God in you. Ladies, you know that you will voluntarily and joyfully give your life to a man who provides and protects you and your family. And here's what I know to be true. Kids, you will and you want to honor a mom and a dad who are purposely present with you and who are attentive and aware to the needs of your heart. You want to. And you, it's natural that you'll give honor to parents that are like that. Parents, if you want to be honored, then be honorable. And kids, if your parents are working to be honorable, then give them the honor they need, which may not be the level of honor that you think they deserve, but give them the honor they need. And at the end of the day, let's kind of lay on the plane here. Let's wrap it up. At the end of the day, Biblical parenting is kind of realizing that everything we do is going to leave an impression on our kids for good or for bad. There's no neutral. Everything we do. And here's where things really get personal. Paul Tripp, he says this. This means that my biggest ongoing problem as a parent is not my children, it's me. My kids don't cause me to do and say the things that I do and say, no, the cause of my action is found inside my own heart. And this one cut right through for me. My children are simply the occasion where my heart reveals itself in words and actions. So I need much more than just rescue and relief from my children. I need rescue from me. Here's how I want to wrap up today. I want to wrap up by talking about the, two, the same two home invaders we talked about last week and how they make their way into our parenting and our relationship with our kids. The first, apathy, which is being detached there's this thing, there's a practice out there right now. It's called free-range parenting. You can Google it. It's real. I didn't make that up. And here's the definition, right? The definition of free-range parenting is this. It's the concept of raising kids in the spirit of encouraging them to function independently with limited parental supervision in accordance with their age of development and with a reasonable acceptance of the realistic personal risks. And you look at that and go, well, what does that mean? Sometimes it sounds like this. Well, you know, I don't really want to intrude on my kids' space. Like, I want to give them their space. I don't want to intrude on their conversations. I don't want to get into their business. I don't want to be a helicopter parent, right? I don't want to be like that. My kids just need their space. I read a quote this week that said this. There's a fine line between properly respecting privacy and providing responsible independence and fostering sinful secrecy and dangerous autonomy. In the lives of our kids. Our kids, they have rooms in our houses, right? They have the ability to kind of build their own smaller versions of their kingdoms within our kingdom. But, but here's the deal, moms and dads and kids. Your room, it exists within our kingdom, right? My kids' room, their little smaller kingdom, right? It, it exists inside mine and Christie's kingdom, so so kids and students you're going to hate me for this but parents you get the final say and who your kids are allowed to date you get the final say and who your kids can and cannot hang out with, you get, parents, unlimited access to their phones and their devices, what apps they can or, or cannot have. You get to determine how much screen time they get. And I'll just tell you, if your kid has got a computer or an Xbox or a PlayStation in their room where you can't see it, get it out of there. Moms and dads, you might hate me for this. Giving your kid a smartphone With no oversight or parental monitoring is the definition of what Jesus would call foolishness. It's foolish parenting. Detaching from their friendships or relationships or dating relationships to give them space is the definition of what Jesus would say you're building your house on sand and it's going to collapse. See, here's what apathy wants to say to us. Apathy wants to say to parents that you can never keep up with the technology and and that here's the thing, that they're gonna do it anyway, regardless of what you do. And what that does is it sends an open invitation to all of the wolves to come into the sheep pen because no one's paying attention. That's apathy. That's how apathy works its way into our homes, into our kids' rooms and into our relationships with them. We just detach I don't know it, I don't understand it, can't keep up with it, they're just going to do it anyway, so might as well. Ignorance is bliss, I get it. The other one is pride. Pride is being overly involved. We said that last week, right? The kind of definition of pride is, is, is kind of claiming authority and responsibility where we don't have any, right? What this, the way this works out is identity parenting. And this is this, when parents attempt to gain, define, and shape their identity through their kids, you're trying essentially to get from your son or daughter what you can only really get from God. And so on one hand, identity parenting leads us to focus all of our efforts on conformity and control through rules and punishment. How many of, us, how many of you have ever said this? When you're still in the driveway, you're going into somebody else's house, your kids are in the back seat, and you turn around and say, you turn the, you turn the car off, it's quiet, and you say, if you all even fill in the blank, then you're going to be punished, right? It's like you're giving out punishment before anything else happens, right? Those kinds of things, like you've done that, we've done that. Like if you all go in there and act like hooligans, I'm telling you, you won't play video games for a month, and they're like, no. But here's what that does. What kids learn in that is they learn behavior modification. Kids learn to act a certain way and in certain places and around certain people at the expense of any kind of real internal transformation. And so identity parenting, making sure that our parents, make sure that our kids look the best, act the best, and we cover them and we smother them with rules and regulations, here's what it does. It either leads to creating hypocrites or rebels. Because either they'll, they'll, they'll look at you and respect you to your face, and then behind your back, they'll go say something else. Or, like my youngest, Cash, who's a lot like his dad, they'll just rebel. They'll start their own revolution. Viva la revolucion, right? Like, I'm just waiting for Cash to come out of his room with that. On the other hand... When we're led to put all of our hopes and dreams on the shoulders of our kids, whether it's athletically, whether it's academically, whether it's socially, whether it's relationally, here's what happens. Our success gets tied to them. And I love what Scott Nichol has to say about this. He says this, parenting is a soul-crushing place to find your worth and value, and God didn't give you your kids in order to build your own reputation." Paul Tripp says it like this, parenting is not first about what we want for our children or from our children, but about, but about what God in his grace has planned to do through us in the lives of our children. To lose sight of this is to end up with a relationship with our children that is at the foundation, at the foundational level is neither Christian nor true parenting because it's become more about our will and our way than about the will and way of our sovereign savior. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna land with the same questions we've been asking. As for me in my house, let's fill in that blank. Are you present and purposeful? Or are you detached and absent? Are you present and purposeful with your kids? You're leveraging those times, the minutes, the hours, whatever it is you have with them, you're leveraging those things to the max. Or has apathy worked its way into your relationship and you're just detached and you're absent and ignorance is bliss and whatever they're gonna do, they're gonna do. I can't stop them, they're gonna do it anyway. Are you aware and attentive or are you overly involved in looking for your identity in the lives of your kids? When your kids fail, do you take that personal? When your kid fails or doesn't make the shot or misses the goal or whatever, or doesn't score a touchdown or doesn't hit the ball out of the park, do you feel that failure? Do you, are you more concerned what the people are gonna say about you Or are you aware and attentive with with what's going on in their hearts so that's your homework moms and dads to fill that in to have conversations with your kids kids your homework is to figure out where your parents need honor and then give it to them and I promise you life will be better